Hello, and welcome to the Church 860 podcast. My name is Pastor Chris, and I'm the lead pastor of Church 860 located in Westerville, Ohio. Our podcast will have daily episodes uploaded where we have curated some of the best Bible teaching from across the globe. We hope you enjoy today's episode. After God will speak to us because God calls down fire from heaven. We do thank you and praise you that you are an awesome God. We do pray that you give us wisdom for what to do this weekend and uh, that we'd be able to handle the situation and uh, take advantage of the things that are dropped in our lap. But uh, you'd also uh, help us just to be uh, uh, wise as a serpent and harmless as doves. Uh, We pray that you would just work, Father, in our lives and in this church and in tonight's message that you would bless this word and that you would uh, uh, speak to us, Father, that we would have the life of Elijah inside of us, that he was a man that was just like us, Father, with a nature like ours. And yet, Father, he could pray and have the power to call down fire from heaven, to have it not to rain for three years, Father. I pray that we would have that strength in our prayer life and that we would be able to uh, mimic and and copy Elijah, Father. Uh, We thank you for the great things that have happened in his life, and uh, I pray that we would be as bold as he is, Father. We uh, 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 thank you and and, uh, we celebrate the good things that you have given us, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, if you uh, are just here for the first time, uh, we're starting 2 Kings, which means we just finished 1 Kings, which really, it's just a break, and we're, we're kind of catching, if you would, the, the whole story of Elijah. Elijah was a powerful prophet. He was a mighty man of God. He was uh, uh, somebody, as we said, that, that prayed that it wouldn't rain, and it didn't rain for three and a half years. He prayed that it would rain at the end of that and it came down in buckets and the chariots were stuck in the mud and uh, great things were happening. When he did pray, he got results. He was somebody that was in the king's face. And we've been talking about him and King Ahab. And Ahab was a wicked king. He was married to Jezebel. And uh, we watched last week as Ahab died in battle. Jezebel, of course, lives on. But, uh, and now his son is king, uh, Ahazerah. And uh, actually, Ahazerah is going to be sick. He's going to uh, break and fall through an upper lattice and be injured. And uh, we'll get into this whole story. But, but Elijah's been in the thick of things. He's been dealing with kings. He's been dealing with, with trying to straighten out the whole nation. And uh, uh, we've watched as, as uh, it was a battle over this one vineyard, uh, over Naboth's vineyard. And uh, and Ahab, and, and Ahab thought he could kill Naboth and steal his vineyard. And, and Elijah comes up and says, you can't murder somebody and take possession. You're not going to get away with it. And he was that type of prophet that stopped people from getting away with things. And we're going to see, if you would, where his uh, strength comes through. Uh, in 2 Kings chapter 1, verse 1, we pick up the story now. It says, now Moab, which was a neighboring country of Israel, bordered, touched it, if you would, um, the other side of the Jordan River there. It says, now Moab rebelled against Israel after the death of Ahab. So Ahab was rather strong king. He had a long reign. And uh, now that he's dead, the Moabites are going to stop paying tribute. That's what rebellion is going to be. In those days when you would take over, if you were the king, and you beat somebody in battle is what that meant is that they would pay you taxes and you collected the revenue from them. And what Moab is saying here is they're saying, we're no longer going to pay the new king taxes. We're going to rebel against that. 
and they're starting to break away. And so you're watching, if you would, things start to deteriorate. Even from Ahab's power, even though he was a bad king, it's got to go even worse. And it's going to tell us Ahaziah, which is the new king, and if you were the last few verses of 1 Kings tells you that he starts to take over for his pa. It says, Ahaziah fell through the lattice in his upper chamber, uh, which was in Samaria. So I don't know what the, the lattice would be if he's outside climbing the walls or if it was the lattice, which was the window screening, looking out the window when he falls over. He's got a household accident, if you would. He falls through this lattice in his upper chamber, which was in Samaria, uh, and, and became ill. So whether an infection set in or something was now broken and it didn't work right, so he turns around and he wants to get spiritual about it. It says, so he sent messengers and he said to them, go inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, which was the Philistines. And uh, here he is, he's got to turn to a pagan god. He's supposed to be the king of Israel. Israel should have the god of Israel, Jehovah, the god of the Bible. And yet he's got to turn his back on that God. And he says, go get another foreign God and inquire of the God of Ekron whether I shall recover from this sickness. I've got to know whether I'm going to live through this. I need a spiritual healing for me. <clears throat> I think this upsets God. God's going to send a change in to interact with it. And it says, but the angel of the Lord said to Elijah the Tishbite, he says, arise, go up to meet the messengers of the king of Samaria and say to them, and uh, so this is the guys that are sent out on their journey <coughs> to this false god of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron. Uh, Elijah's got to intercept them. And he says, is it because there is no god in Israel? What an insult, if you would, that you are going to inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron? Now, therefore, because you turned your back on our god, now, therefore, thus says the Lord, you shall not come down from the bed where you have gone up, but you shall surely die. How's that for some good news? I'm sure you'd like to hear something like there's hope, there's an answer. And the message from the word of the Lord is, and notice it says in verse 3, that the, the angel of the Lord said to Elijah, an angel comes and speaks to Elijah and says, this is the message. This is what God is saying. This isn't Elijah. This is the message. Elijah, you're just the messenger you go up and you tell him that he's not going to recover, that he's going to die. Then Elijah, he just turns around and leaves. He says, this is the message. Boom, I've delivered it. And he books and he, and he hides. He says, when the messengers return uh, to him, to the king, they're going to come back. The king turns around and says, then why have you returned? Hey, I just sent you out yesterday. You should be out for a couple days' journey. You're back already. That was quick. He says, uh, why have you returned? In verse 6, he says, well, they said to him, well, you know, we got our answer pretty quick. It says, a man came up to meet us, and he said to us, well, go return to the king who sent to you and uh, say to him, thus says the Lord, it is, because, is it because there's no God in Israel that you're sending to inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron? Therefore, you shall not come down from your bed. And at this point, they're saying, here's some good news for you, king, where you have gone up, but you shall surely die. So the king scratched his head and he said to them, What kind of man was this who came up to meet you? And he spoke these words to you. They answered and they said to him, Well, he's this big hairy guy with a hairy man with a, a leather girdle about his loins. And he said, It is Elijah the Tishbite. That's who the king says. He goes, That's who that guy is. Some guy came up and you said it. 
It's that troubler of Israel. My father had problems with this guy. Nobody likes what Elijah's saying. He's always putting us down. We're trying to serve other gods, and he's telling me that I'm wrong. God forbid, right? And so the king, I guess, doesn't like to hear the story, and he's going to fight. And it's amazing that, I guess, when the, the rock-hard truth is given us, we, we want to resist it. I think that's part of our human nature, that, that when we hear, well, you're going to die, uh, it, it doesn't sit well with us. We don't like to swallow negative news. Uh, the statistics are staggering on, on how many people consider themselves Christians or God-fearing people. You know, 90% of the people think that they're going to heaven. Everybody thinks that they're going to heaven. And somewhere down the line, there's this, this the reality of the people that are going to be there doesn't match up, I'm sure, with the number of people that think that they're going to be there. We never know. It'd be interesting on Judgment Day, and I've often pondered this, maybe God is a real generous and liberal God, and he says, sure, everybody comes to heaven. Come on in. I guess there's a couple people out there, that, you know, the Hitler and the whatever, you know, and they're not going to make it. They're going to go fry in hell. But, you know, you can read certain scriptures that point a, a certain light on that, that it makes it sound like everybody goes to heaven. You know, everybody tries. We're all saved by this amazing grace, and in your heart of hearts, so long as it's a good heart and you try, then I guess you make it into the kingdom of heaven. And there's other times you can read the scriptures and it sounds like, well, maybe there's three of us that are actually going to make it and uh, in all of Ohio that are actually going to, you know, God is going to say, this is my servant in whom I'm well pleased. The rest of the people are pathetic and it's a very narrow band. You can read scriptures that make it sound like there's three people in the state of Ohio that are actually saved. He who endures to the end shall be saved. Unless you go the whole entire distance of living for the Lord. You look at what King Saul did. He just didn't kill a few of the women and children in, in the slaughter. And, and God was so displeased with him. And I, I go, I've seen, I've seen a lot of Christians do a lot worse than Saul did. And Saul seemed to have missed the boat. Gee, God, and you can read things that it sounds really, really tight. So somewhere in the barrier of what we envision this judgment day to be on how generous or, or tight God is, I personally read that and I go, well, I want to make sure if there are only three, I'm one of those three. That's the way I read that. You know, there, there, there could be a tight rendering there in God on judgment day. And there's a lot of times that I've woken up to my sin where I thought I was not in sin and I've turned around and said, you know, really, there's a problem in me. Have you ever had that where you recognize that there's something wrong with you? Sends that cold chill down your spine and you go, it's me. I'm not as nice a person as I think I am. I was always told I was a good person all growing up. I don't know. My, my mother would break belts and... and paddles and spoons and everything she could muster over my two brothers butts they always got whacked me i never got spanked i mean you know once in a blue moon when all three of us got a spanking maybe i'd get tied in and i always go i'm the nice guy i'm the nice guy and i think after living through that uh, joining the marine corps and you drink a little bit and you party a little bit and you play a little bit and then you could look at your life. And there was a day I looked at my life and I said, 
I've committed adultery. I'm drinking all the time. I'm doing illegal substance and drugs. I looked at my life and I said, I'm not a good boy. I'm not a good guy. I am doing classic things that would disgust God. And I don't notice it. I didn't notice that. And it's amazing on how deceptive our heart can be. Jeremiah says the heart is, you know, uh, desperately sick and no man can cure it. We can become so deceived at, at, our own, at our own desires and think that we're good. And I'm sure Ahaziah is here and he's looking at himself and he says, Hey, look, I don't like what the God of Israel says, but there's somebody out there that has to like me. And I'm not going to hear the news that I'm going to die from my illness. I won't, I won't swallow that. And he's fighting it instead of being broken. Instead of saying, wow, look what, you know, I'm going to die. Now back up a little bit. You got Ahab. Ahab was the raunchiest of all characters. And Elijah came up and he smashed him. And he says, you think you're going to murder and take possession? And what did Ahab do? He sat down and he started crying. He goes, And you could just see God looking at him and says, oh, look at the tears of the poor guy. I know I pronounced judgment on him. It won't happen with him. It'll happen with his kids. And so I got to punish him, but, you know, I'll spare him the immediate punishment. He was broken. He was contrite. Even in the midst of his wickedness, you could see that that broken heart, God looks at that broken heart and he says, I'll deal with that. And sure enough, his son now is in control and his son's going to bear the punishment, I guess, for his father's sins in a sense. But his son has an equal opportunity to cry and to be broken. If he were to hear the news and the prophet comes up and says, you, you're set aside for destruction and you're going to die. And I suppose if we ever get that sentence put upon ourselves, you know, you start crying to God and you know God is a merciful God and he'll say okay 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 Dave I see that you've blown it and oh I'll spare you that's kind of the God of the Bible but when you resist and you're not going to and here Ahaziah is he's resisting he's going to say I'm, I'm not going to swallow that news it's that it's that weasel I'm going to shoot the messenger that's what I'm going to do and I'm infuriated at Elijah how dare he tell me that I'm going to die I won't swallow reality I don't want to hear that I'm going to force the truth and he's going to slam home and he says you get me this Elijah and he's got to deal with me I'm the king and Elijah doesn't quite want to go along with those game plans and neither will God uh, so we get back into the story in uh, verse 9, and it says, And then the king sent to him. So the king's going to go get him. They find him. He's going to send to him a, a captain of 50 with his 50. So here's one strong man who's over 50 men, 50 men to go grab a prophet of God. And so the captain comes up to him, and he went up to him, and behold, he was sitting on top of the hill. So he's kind of just sitting there meditating, I guess. I don't know. Looking down as all these guys are marching up to him. And he said to him, the captain of the 50, he says, O man of God, the king says, come down. Get down here. He's a captain. He's in the military. He gives orders, and he's given an order now. And notice it's come down. And Elijah answered, and he said to the captain of the 50, Oh, hey, you're a smart guy. You noticed that I was a man of God? Well, you think about that. He says, if I am a man of God, well... You know, if the first part of your statement's true that I'm a man of God and then the second part is that you want me to come, 
let's deal with the first part of the statement that I'm a man of God. And he says, if that was so, then let fire come down from heaven and consume you. And you're 50, because God is not playing your game. Well, then, then fire came down from heaven and consumed him and his 50. Boom, fried on the spot. Nothing but ashes. Hey, there is a God. You're dealing with him. You're playing with him, and you're playing with fire. So the king must have heard this, and he says, What? My 50 men got fried? That's impossible. So he, the king, sent to him another captain of 50, does it again, and his 50 men with him. They come marching out. And he answered and he said to him, O man of God, thus says the king, come down quickly. So notice he's intensifying and reiterating his position and saying it in a more forceful demeanor. Come down quickly. You get down here. And Elijah answered and said to them, Well, if I am a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your fifty. Then the fire of God came down and he uh, from heaven and consumed him and his fifty. So he again, the king turns around and says, That can't happen. See his stubbornness, his, his frustration. He's got to be determined to see things his way. So again, he sent the captain of a third 50 with his 50 men. And this time the guy's saying, hey, my two guys died in the, you know, my predecessors died before me. It says when the third captain of the 50 went up, he came down and, and bowed on his knees before Elijah and he begged him. Total different approach. And he said to him, oh man of God, please, 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 please. Let my life and the lives of these 50 servants of yours be precious in your sight. Behold, I'm not stupid. I know that fire came down from heaven and consumed the first two captains of 50 with their 50s. But now let my life be precious in your sight. See, he's coming and he's making an approach and begging for his mercy. And the angel of the Lord said to Elijah, he says, go down with him. Do not be afraid of him. So he arose and he went down with him to the king. And the results now, he's going to have to face the king. He says, when he said to him, uh, then he said to him, so that's Elijah speaking to the king. Thus says the Lord, because you have sent messengers to inquire of Beelzebub, the God of Ekron, it is... Is it because there is no God in Israel to inquire of his word? Therefore, you shall not come down from the bed where you have gone up and shall surely die. Sorry, facts of the matter are the same. You drag me to speak to you, I will speak to you, but you are going to die. So Ahaziah died according to the word of the Lord which Elijah had spoken. And because he had no son, Jehoram, his brother, became king in his place in the second year of Jehoram, the son of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. So uh, now the rest of the acts of Ahaziah, which he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel? So you're watching, if you would, uh, several sermon points to draw from this, if you would. One is, is that uh, no matter how hard we are determined to thwart God, the results are going to be the same, and God is not going to be moved. God is saying, you're going to die, you're going to pay the price, you're a stubborn person, 
And man thinks that he's going to be more stubborn to answer. And if you watch the three captains of the 50s, it's a perfect play. We come up and we make a demand of God. God, of course you'd send me to heaven. Of course I'm going in there. Of course I've got a good afterlife and all these things that I want. And God says, well, I'm sorry, you've got a problem. You've got a sin problem in your life. You're born a sinner. You were born with a curse on you, just like Ahaziah was born with a curse on him because his father sinned, and because his father sinned and begged for mercy, it was going to fall onto his sons, and there was a curse that was given. Well, we have the same thing. When Adam sinned, we inherited a curse. And that curse can be broken through the love and the mercy that is shown through Jesus Christ, who died for us, who... When he died for us in our place, then the price was paid and forgiveness and mercy was given. And the way that we need to receive that is when we get on our knees and we say, Lord, I need you. Lord, please, just like we said on Sunday, help my unbelief. Lord, God, you are so big and so awesome. I don't understand how I'm supposed to approach you. I don't know what the truth is. Lord, help me. And I'm convinced if you pray that prayer... God answers that prayer. God works with you and he starts to reveal to you the truth. It doesn't change the truth. The reality is that there, you know, one of us has to die. Jesus Christ died for us. We can have everlasting life. Something has to be paid for the price for your sin. Man hates that concept. They're determined to say, I don't need anybody to help me out. I'll do it myself. I'm not going to ask anybody for help. I'm not going to sit down there and admit that I have a problem. That's the very core of all of our sinful nature. We, we are uh, enthralled with the lusts of deceit. We want to be deceived, to believe that we can get through things. And what God is coming up and he's saying, no, it's not going to fly. You can't push, you can't shove. In God, it's an interesting verse. Check out verse 15. The angel of the Lord said to Elijah, go down with him. And do not be afraid of him. So it's interesting that he's saying, look, the first two guys tried to push you around, Elijah. And Elijah, you can call down fire from heaven and fry the guy on the spot if need be. And God, I don't think, is ever seriously threatened by anyone. But it's an interesting perspective. Would it be possible that God would be threatened or the Spirit of the Lord would be threatened so that he wouldn't want to inhabit somebody to go someplace? That he would look at your heart and he would say, that's a threatening environment. I don't think I'll go there. And here's the, the angel of the Lord telling Elijah to say, what, with the third captain of the 50 who was a humble servant who said, please, I'm begging for mercy. Respect who I am and my 50 people. We understand that you're a man of God. And at that point, when you can make that statement, it's almost like the Lord is almost saying, here's a home. A home is a place that I can inhabit. A home is a place I can let my hair down. Strange analogy. God's looking for a place that he can inhabit. He's looking for a heart that he can sit down there and say... Lord, you can inhabit my heart. It's, it's a safe zone. It's a place that, God, you don't have to feel threatened. And, and then ask yourself those questions. Look at your heart. Is, 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 it, is your heart a safe zone for God? Does God look at you and say, I could spend my time there. 
Or are you full of contention, anger? Are, are, are you deceitful so that God would feel insecure? Not that he's insecure. That would be a ludicrous statement. But I want my heart to be a home that God would feel you know, safe to inhabit. And I think he does say, I feel safe with that guy, Dave Brown. He's not going to kick me out. He's not going to sit down and curse me, you know. And he's not going to sit down there and attack me. And, and we can do that. You know, we're driving down the road. Drunk driver comes up, wrecks our car. First thing out of our mouth is we say, God, how could you allow that to happen? We attack God. I paid my tithes this week. I did everything that I was supposed to. I did something for God and he let me down. And God's like, "Woo, dude, that's not a very safe environment, man. One problem in your life and you come ripping at me? Hey, I'm part of the solution. I'm not part of the problem. Strange perspective where sometimes God is looking at us and he's saying, and we want to be able to say, hey, hey, Lord, I want this to be a safe home. I want my heart. I want to weed through the problems and the sin that creep into my heart all the time and say, Lord, I want to be safe. I want to be, I want to be a, a, a person that you can work with. And Elijah was somebody. There's another message here about being able to call down fire from heaven. That's a radical condition for a spiritual person. Could you ask the question? Uh, could you have the power to call down fire from heaven? Do you ever really think that you would have that power? James tells us that Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Uh, but through the effective, uh, fervent prayers of a righteous man, accomplished much. So Elijah was a guy just like us. Can you imagine the level of spirituality, if you want to put it into those terms, that you could have as a believer to have someone come up and say, hey, I'm taking you to jail. And you said, you're not taking me to jail. I'm going to call down fire from heaven and consume you right here in the parking lot. <laughs> right? You're going, ooh, dude, I don't know if I got quite that much faith. I mean, I could say, you know, Lord, you know, make him sick or something, or Lord, you know, give him a flat tire or something, you know. But to have him fried on the spot, you know, with fire come down from heaven, you'd go, ooh, I don't, that's a, well, hey, that's a high level of faith. Well, Elijah's had some pretty cool things happen. He could pray for three and a half years. It wasn't going to rain. He's done some pretty big things, you know. He called down fire from heaven before. When the sacrifices were there, there was 400 prophets of Baal, remember? And he called down fire and said, Lord, boom, consume my sacrifice. They had their little contest going on. Elijah was pretty powerful. And at this point, you could just see that. But, but to be able to have that level of spiritual discernment in your life, and I think that's what it would take, that there are times that you could call down fire from heaven, but we would be lacking the discernment on when that was, right? Because we know that uh, Peter and, uh, I'm sorry, uh, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, they went into uh, some village, and the village turned their nose up at them and said, Jesus, these guys rejected us, you know? We were supposed to go in there and find a place to sleep for the night, and they kicked us out of town. And they come back to Jesus, Luke chapter 9, and they said, should we call down fire from heaven and burn down the village? <laughs> Jesus is going, hey, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, you guys don't know the power of the spirit that you're of. You don't understand the spirit of God. The spirit of God is there for love and for mercy and for compassion. And I don't want to advocate that our church runs around and starts calling fire down from heaven to burn everybody. And 
Lord, burn that Mopar car in our driving lot or whatever it is, you know. That guy who threw beer bottles, curse him, you know. And, uh, but to have that level of spirituality also requires a high level of you being sensitive to the voice of the Lord. That's what it calls. And when the Lord speaks to you, it requires you to be obedient even to the point of putting your whole reputation on the line and said, King, it's not going to rain for three and a half years. Just to make that statement is a tough statement. It's not going to rain until I say so. To put himself in the position where he goes to the 400 prophets of Baal and he says, you guys, put up your sacrifice and I'll sit over here with my sacrifice. The first one that can call down fire from heaven is got the real God. Now that's a gutsy thing to say. Would you want to take 400 people that you know, or worshiping the sun god and turn around and say, look, guys, I'm going to sit down and call down fire from heaven. We're going to have a time at the park, and you're putting yourself on the line. I mean, if I was to do that, you'd sit down and say, oh, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to make the biggest jerk out of myself of all time, right? The doubt, the fear, the insecurity come right into the mind. And Elijah says, I'm telling you, I don't see a raindrop in the cloud, uh, but I'm going to say it's going to rain when I say it's going to rain after three years of not a cloud in the sky, I'm going to sit down and tell you that fire's going to come down here and to consume you. And because of that, Elijah is a mighty man of God because I believe it's more or less that he's so sensitive to the voice of the Lord. Because he, he went out on a limb. Now, we go into the second chapter and you get into some bizarre things that are going to happen here. It gets even more intense. And we're thrown into a scenario here in chapter 2, verse 1. It says, And it came about when the Lord was, taken, um, was about to take up Elijah by a whirlwind to heaven, that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. Now, all right, let's keep reading through the whole story here. And uh, in Elijah, and remember, interesting story. Well, Remember the story where Elijah had to... Elijah was very disappointed with... Calls down fire from heaven and then all of a sudden that one woman, Jezebel, was like, I don't care if you killed my 400 prophets and you did call down fire from heaven, I'm still going to kill you. And then Elijah turned around and he got very depressed. He was suicidal. Things didn't go his way. You kind of see him almost act almost as much as to a big baby and crying and sulking and pouting because this woman Jezebel was so hard-hearted, she says, I don't care if you can call down fire from heaven, I'm going to kill you. And then he's sitting up there and he's pouting. He says, God, I'm the only one left. Nobody cares about you, you know, and, uh, you know, the whole world's going down the drain. And God comes up and he says, don't worry, I got 7,000 other people that will not bow their knee to this Baal God. And, uh, and he says, don't worry, in so many words, don't worry about this woman Jezebel. I've got her, you know, taken care of. I want you to do three things. And uh, he, he was supposed to go up there to this uh, guy, Hazael, and make him king of Aram, which was the enemy, and says, you need to do that one thing, which hasn't happened yet. Uh, the hard guy, tough guy, was supposed to get Elisha, the nice, gentle guy, to be his disciple and to train him to replace him. We made a whole sermon illustration about saying, well, we are replaceable and God can use anybody, so don't think that we're something special to God. So Elijah went down to Elisha, and he says, look, one thing he did do, out of the three things he was told to do to solve, to solve his problem, the one thing he did do is replace his replacement. He goes down to Elisha, and what does he do? He says, look, you know, he just throws his coat at him, you know. 
And that's supposed to be, look, this is my mantle, my coat for who I am. I'm calling you into the ministry. He just whips his jacket at him and keeps on walking. Elisha comes up and says, excuse me, you mind if I just say goodbye to my dad and, and whatever? I'm supposed to come follow you? And, you know, this is supposed to be some secret code of the prophets that you just throw your jacket at me and I have to go chase after you. Not, hey, let me explain to you the mission, the calling. Let me lay down my life. He doesn't give him anything. Just throws his coat at him. And Elisha turns around, sacrifices the, you know, oxen that he was plowing with, says goodbye to his dad, and he catches up to Elijah. And he's been his faithful sidekick. And so it, uh, and now all of a sudden the two of them are there. And notice in chapter 2, it just throws this concept at us. And it's a mind-blowing concept that I have a hard time swallowing. Uh, Because you're introduced to a thought that you're like, where did this come from? That's what I read. Where did this thought come from? And it came about when the Lord was about to take up Elijah by a whirlwind to heaven. Somehow or another, you've got to read this whole story. And everybody seems to know this is what's going to happen. You know, we're going to see that, you know, the chariot's going to come down. Elijah's going to be over there by the Jordan River, you know, and the big chariot comes down from heaven, and Elijah just gets sucked up and taken off into the heavens on this chariot. Woohoo! You know, I don't know if they got horses. It doesn't explain anything about it. And Elijah doesn't die. He doesn't face death. It's not like he had to get a spear thrown through him. He's, he's taken alive into the heavens. It's a very important point for us in future things. But reading the story, you're reading the story, you're going, where did this concept come from? And yet, interestingly enough, my point is, everybody seems to know that that's what's going to happen. Did anybody ever have this happen to them before in the history of mankind? That a chariot comes down from the clouds, picks somebody up, and takes them back up. We see no other references to this. You could read uh, Ezekiel, which is... uh, you know, after this whole process, um, uh, we're, we're looking at at least 60, 100 years after this whole thing, and Ezekiel talks about some chariot-type things that sound kind of like UFOs that are coming from heaven, and he talks about some really weird things in the first five chapters of Ezekiel. You're going, you know, is this some type of chariot that would come down? You know, we know that Enoch was didn't die, and that's just one verse of the Old Testament, and maybe somehow or another, he could have been taken up into a chariot of heaven, but... For the most part, this is a bizarre concept, right? I wouldn't sit down and say, here's a prophetic word. You know, Alice, you're going to be taken in a chariot into heaven. And you go, well, where did that come from? So understand that tone, okay? Just read chapter 2, and all of a sudden, everyone seems to be dialed in that it's time for Elijah to go and time for Elijah to take over. And it came about, anyway, that uh, when the Lord was about to take up Elijah by a whirlwind to heaven that Elijah went up from Elisha from Gilgal uh, with Elisha. So the both of them are running around. And Elijah turns around and he says to Elisha, the senior to the junior, and he says, stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha says, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. God's called me to be your disciple I will be your disciple and I am not uh, leaving your side no matter what you say. So they went down to Bethel. And then the sons of the prophets who were uh, at Bethel, they came out to Elisha, the junior guy, and said to him, Hey, why are you still with you know the senior guy? Do you not know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? Don't you know that today's the day that he's going to be gone? And he said, Yes, I know. Be still. Okay, shut up, he's saying. I don't care about that. I'm still going to be with him. And then Elijah said to him, Elisha, 
please stay here for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. You can see he's trying to separate himself. I'm going to go back to the place that we came from. They went from, from, from uh, uh, Bethel, which was by the Jordan, and they now come by Jericho. And, uh, or they came into, I'm sorry, they, they were at Gilgal, which is by the Jordan. They came into Bethel, and now he's saying, I've got to go back to Jericho. So they're taking this six or eight mile trek back and forth. And he's saying, look, oh, I've got to go over here. And uh, Elisha, verse uh, four, uh, please stay here for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But he said, as the Lord lives and as uh, you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. And the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho, the group of people that were just spiritually in tune, they approached Elisha, the junior, again, and they said to him, Do you know that the Lord, do you not know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? And he answered and he says, Yes, I know. Be still. And then Elijah said to him, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. So I got he's trying to get away from him. And he said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. So he's sticking to him like glue. And he says, now 50 men of the sons of the prophets went and stood opposite them at a distance. I wonder if those are old soldiers converted, but 50 that said, hey, I might as well become a son of the prophet. The soldiering thing's given up, you know, I don't know. But 50 men of the sons of the prophets went and stood opposite them at a distance while the two of them stood by the Jordan. And Elijah took his mantle, folded it together, right, that cloak, if you would, that he's wearing, uh, folded it together and struck the waters. And they were divided here and there so that the two of them crossed over on dry ground. Now, it came about when they had crossed over that Elijah said to Elisha, all right, things are getting ready to happen. You got your one golden wish. Ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. They're all sitting there in eager anticipation. I find that staggering to know that they're expecting this, you know, a, a chariot of fire to come down here and it's like on clockwork you catch that wind it's going to happen like uh, at four o'clock and it's like 345 all right now you, you i kind of catch that tone all right just before i'm getting taken up it's like i don't know that's in tune with god but i'm going to give you he says uh what can i do for you one golden wish and junior turns around elisha says please let a double portion of your spirit be upon me pretty bold whatever you got i want twice of it's a pretty smart request right you're right they'll you hear the old thing you get the genie in the bottle and they come up and they go you got three wishes what do you wish for and you go well i want a thousand more wishes right <laughs> you go, never mind then he goes i want a double portion of what you got give me twice as whatever you have i want to be twice as much you can see his youth his vigor his his, his desire and yet Elijah, he turns around and he says, you've asked a hard thing. Now, do you think he's saying that that's got to be a tough one for God to pull off? Well, I don't know if God can do that. I don't think that's what he's saying. I think he's saying, he's saying you just asked a hard thing. You, you, you want to follow in my footsteps. 
you think I've got the gravy lifestyle because I can call down fire from heaven and have it stop raining and everyone would go, ooh, you the man. Elijah is saying, I don't like walking in these shoes. These shoes, I, 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 and you want to follow in my footsteps. It ain't pretty. Spiritual greatness is not all that it's cracked up to be. A lot of reasons there. Elijah's saying, you know, I, I'm also the one that the queen wants to kill. The world comes against you when you want to be real spiritual. And partly I say the same thing. I want to be, I want to be just like Chuck Smith, you know. Chuck Smith founded Calvary Chapel, you know, some 30, 35 years ago with him and his Bible study of 25 people. And now that it has exploded into, he's got, I don't know, old statistic, but 12 of the top 25 churches in the country are Calvary chapels, you know. Uh, there's thousands of Calvary chapels around the world. It's a growing movement. And, you know, Chuck Smith has just been somebody that has been an apostle in so many ways. And I look at Chuck and I, I could just see, you, you listen to him and you go, man, he's just reading out of the Bible. He does a real simple thing. You go, I can do what Chuck does. I wish I could be like Chuck Smith and just teach the Bible. Don't charge anybody. And it's just so simple. And yet you can also look at Chuck and realize Chuck has been ripped apart, attacked. He's got websites against him. He's got people that are angry. He's watched the people that he's loved the most turn around and stab him in the back. And I think he carries a cross probably more than anything I could ba- uh, handle. I couldn't begin to, to handle the things that he goes through in a day. I guess I've had my problems, you know, and I think what he goes through is 50 times more than what I have to go through. And I'm sure you could sit down and I I said, I want to be like Chuck. And I can remember talking to Mike Booker. He's the pastor of Calvary Chapel, Cleveland. And and he told him, he told him just this line, you know, and uh, he goes, Chuck, I want you to pray for me. And Chuck's like, well, okay, what can I pray for you for? And he's like, I want a double portion of what you got. (laughs) Just pray for a double portion of Chuck's anointing, you know. And I'm like, man, you know, <laughs> in a sense, you're, you can say, I want that. I want to be, here's somebody that I, I want to be like, and I want to do even more than that what they did in their life. Lord, I want to be that person. And yet that person, Elijah, will turn around and says, you're asking a hard thing because you're going to get attacked. You're going to have everyone coming against you. You, spiritual uh, anointing, can be a curse there's an old saying right ignorance is bliss and and i'm I'm telling you when when you're ignorant you can be very happy when you see people walk into sin and you understand that they understand what they're doing and as they have made commitments and vows and said that they're never going to drink and blah, 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 blah again, and they know full well the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives, and then you watch them turn around and go throw themselves into the gutter. You can get mad at them, but if you truly love somebody, it kills you. It, it rips your heart apart to watch somebody throw their life in the gutter. 
and you have a tendency to say, Lord, I wish it was me. I don't want to see this person, just anybody, anything else besides this person just throwing away their life. And you have a tendency to want to bury your head in the sand. We see so many things in this world that makes us sick to our stomach that we want to say, Lord, I want to bury my head in the sand. That's all I want to do. I've had that temptation where I go, Lord, I can't handle watching everybody make fools of themselves. I want to go bury my head in the sand and just tell the world to shut up and just, you know, close my eyes and say, Lord, make it all go away. It's hard to watch things happen. And you wish and say, I wish I didn't know what I know. I've read the Bible 20 times. I've taught the whole Bible. I've been through everything. I understand what God wants. I've watched other people do these things. And you go, Lord, I wish I didn't know these things. I was so much happier when I was just dumb and stupid and drunk going through life. I was happier. Well, gee, I thought I'd be a Christian and I'd be full, so full of joy. And with it comes pain and broken hearts and frustration and anger. And, and, you, and you want to cry out and, you, and, and you're starting to develop the heart of God sometimes as God looks at the world and he goes, oh, how could you turn on me so? And Elijah is turning around and he's saying, you're asking a hard thing. Do you really want to follow in my footsteps? You'll get it. Now, in defense of Elisha, juniors, me, I like to be the same thing. I want to say, Chuck, I want to do what, I want to do what Chuck Smith does. I want, I want to do that. I want to have the impact and the magnitude of his ministry. And, and I'm glad. Paul says that if you want to be an overseer, if you're desirous, who's ever desirous to be in, in leadership as an overseer, he asks a good thing. It's good that people want to aspire to a leadership position in the church. And I'm glad. And, and, I, and I don't want to, because of the magnitude of the pain, turn around and reject the, the, the overwhelming glory that sits out there. But don't be deceived. There's pain that comes with it. And I think at Elijah in his life who thought that he could call down fire from heaven. Could you imagine you calling down fire from heaven? Consuming 50 people, another 50 people. The old captain begging you for mercy. You could say, man, God's real. I wish I could just have that. Lord, let me just pray for three years. It's not going to If I had that confidence. And yet Elijah was somebody also that struggled and struggled and struggled. And interestingly enough, He's saying you're asking for a hard thing. Here's a good quote for you. Uh, Ecclesiastes. Before we move on, I'll throw that quote in there. Ecclesiastes 1, 18. He says, Because in much wisdom there is much grief, and increasing knowledge results in increasing pain. How's that for a verse, huh? Lord, I just want to be stupid and ignorant. <laughs> That's all I'm asking for, Lord. Let me just go through life dumb and ignorant. And it doesn't work that way. Because in much wisdom, there is much grief. And increasing knowledge results in increasing pain. Yours says sorrow. That's Solomon, yeah. Solomon writing Ecclesiastes. He's saying, I'm the wisest man in the world and it's driving me nuts. Yeah, he got it. He says, you've asked the hard things. Nevertheless, if you see me when I'm taken up from you, verse 10, 
it shall be so for you. So if you're around, if you can hang with me, then you can get your request. And uh, it shall be so for you. But if not, it shall not be so. So stick with me. Then it came about as they were going along and, and talking that behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire, which separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind to heaven. So he's taken up into heaven. He's swooped off up there. Things are gone. Elijah sees it. He's got to grab hold of his uh, coat. It says, verse 12, And Elisha, Jr., saw it, and he cried out, and he says, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and the horsemen. And he saw him no more. Then he took hold of his own clothes, and he tore them in two pieces. So what he was dressed with, he rips his clothes off of himself. He also took up the mantle of Elijah that fell from him. So as he's being caught up into heaven, he drops his coat, his cloak, that would distinguish him as the prophet. And he returned, and he stood by the bank of the Jordan. And he took the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and, uh, and struck the waters and said, Where is the God? Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? Hey, I've been following this guy. He's been telling me to follow him. Time for him to show up and do his thing. And when he had also struck the waters, he goes, Hey, Elijah part of the waters. I want to do the same trick. He struck the waters and the waters were divided here and there. And Elijah crossed over and parted the waters. He goes, Whoa, I've got the powers of Elijah. Now notice what he's doing. He's, he's, you could you can make the argument that Elisha was the junior was probably just a nice guy out there working in the fields, probably had a heart that was towards the Lord. You know, and Elijah comes up and throws the coat at him and says, "You're elected, you know, to be the next high holy prophet to be filling my shoes." And at this point, he's a man that is obedient, does what he's told. You see that clearly as. Elijah says, I'm running over here. He goes, no, I'm going with you. He runs over here. I'm running over here. I'm running over there. And they're running back and forth. And Elisha is saying, I'm doing something out of obedience. But what Elisha now is going to have to happen in his life and in his heart is that he's going to turn around and says, this isn't the God of Elijah anymore. This now needs to be my God. This is, this is the God that I know. This isn't... This isn't just some God of the Bible, but God, in order to be effective in your life, has to become a personal God that says, this is my God. And now all of a sudden he's going to say, I know who you are, God. I know that it's not just the God of Elijah anymore, but I need to see that you're going to do this in me. And for you to make a complete transition to know that God loves you, How do you know if you're going to be one of the three people that are going to make it to heaven out of the whole state of Ohio? If only three people are saved, I would still have the confidence to say, well, if only three people are saved in Ohio, God, I know that I'm one of them. And you know how I can know that I'm one of them? Because God is my God, and I know God, and God speaks to me. And I can say, God, if you're working through me, This isn't my own vain glories of imaginations. This is you speaking to me. This is me trusting in what you're telling me, stepping out in faith and being obedient and having a personal relationship with the living God. And then I know. Because I know this much. I know God loves me. I I know that. 
I know that God speaks to me, and I know God's well pleased with me. I know that. I'm sorry, I do. And if it means that only three people are saved, well, then I guess, you know what, I, I must be one of the three. I, you know, you, maybe there are. It's none of my business. I can look at a lot of people and go, I don't know if they're saved. But I know where I am. And, and you can always know that. And if God saves the whole world and out of six billion people, 5.95 billion go to heaven, that's fine with me. It doesn't bother me because I know I'm one of them because I know that because I, God speaks to me. God loves me. God interacts with me. God says, Dave, I want you to do this, and I do it, and you see the results. And, 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 and God is constantly interacting with me, just like if it was you and I sitting in the room together, God's speaking to me. I have a relationship with God, and God wants to have that relationship with you, and you need to be able to have that relationship where it's not the God of the Bible, the God of Calvary Chapel. It's my God. And until God's your God, you don't know him. You know about him. Right? You can know all about anyone. You can know all about George Washington. But that doesn't mean you have a personal relationship with him. And God's saying, I want to be personal with you. I want to be interactive with you. And Elijah's saying, this, this is no longer just me being obedient. This isn't just something I'm doing. This is, now, this is now something that I'm doing. And he's saying, now I'm picking up this mantle and I'm going forward. And, and God of Elijah, you need to become mine is what he's saying. And we need to make that statement. And, and, and to say, yes, I know what, what the Lord is doing. I know what God's going to go through these things. And Elisha is going to have a more powerful ministry than even Elijah. If you want to quantify his ministry as miracles that are performed in the Bible, Elijah has more recorded ministry uh, miracles, second only to Jesus. And so Elisha becomes a powerful person. And Elisha is going to finish the work of Elijah. Uh, let's finish the chapter. Um, so here he is. The first thing that's going to happen to him is he's going to get a challenge. Nothing like starting out of the blocks. And he says, now when the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho, all the other guys uh, opposite him, they saw him. They said, the spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. We saw how Elijah parted the water. Now Elisha's parting the water. And they're going, dude, he's the number one guy again. And they came to meet him and bowed themselves to the ground before him. Oh, yes, we worship you. We worship you. And Elijah's like, don't worship me. Worship God, right? But notice the false pretense. And they said to him, behold now, there are with you servants, 50 among men, 50 strong men, please, let them go and search for your master, right? So let's go, wait, wait a second. We're not really sure if he's dead or not. He just got taken up into heaven and, you know, perhaps, you know, you know, just maybe the spirit of the Lord has taken him up and cast him on some mountain into, the, into some valley. And he said, you shall not send. So Elisha says, look, you know, I just took over. Trust me, Elijah's gone. I need, you trust me that I'm going to be the guy in charge. God's going to start using me. And automatically he's being tested. They're saying, yeah, but maybe not. And there's nothing worse than that undermining, nagging voice of doubt that wants to question you. And that always happens in spirituality. And he's saying, don't worry about it. But when they urged him uh, until he was ashamed. Isn't that sad? He said, send, go ahead. He caves in. You want to go look around through the mountains for something I told you is not there? You won't believe me? Go out there. 
And they sent, therefore, 50 men, and they searched three days, but they did not find him. He's gone. He's up in heaven. And they returned to him while he was standing at Jericho. And he said to them, Did I not uh, say to you, Do not go? I told you you wasted three days for nothing. And the men of the city said to Elisha, Behold now, the situation of the city is pleasant, as my Lord sees, but the water is bad, and the land is unfruitful. And he said, Bring me a new jar and put salt in it. So they brought it to him. And he went out into the spring of water, and he threw salt in it and said, Thus says the Lord, I have purified these waters. There shall not be uh, from their death or unfruitfulness any longer. So the waters have been purified to this day, according to the word of Elisha, which he spoke. And he went up from there to Bethel. And as he was going up by the way, young lads came out from the city, mocking him. And said to him, go up, you bald head. Go up, you bald head. So they're ripping on him because of his haircut there. And he looked behind him and he saw them. He cursed them in the name of the Lord. Then two female bears came out of the woods and tore up 42 lads in their number. And he went from there to Mount Carmel. And from there he returned to Samaria. So... (laughs) You don't mess with Elisha, even just like you didn't mess with Elijah. Same thing there. Interestingly enough, he's purifying the waters. His first miracle as he parted the waters, now he's purifying the waters, just like Jesus when he turned water, dirty water, to wine. Here you're watching him purify, cleanse, and give forth the living water. And he's saying, hey, use the Spirit of the Lord, and as he's got to kick through many other things in his ministry... You can see he's an intense guy. Amen? Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Church 860 podcast. We hope that you've enjoyed it. If you have, we ask that you would like and subscribe to the podcast so that you can get daily updates. If you'd like to know more about Church 860, please visit church860.com. Thank you. God bless. God bless.